0: Welcome to another episode of the Gospel Lifeline Podcast. My name is Neil Grogan, here with Matthew Statler. We're back at it again, just closed up uh, our series on discovering hope in trauma. And Matt and I have, you know, uh, a ton of different ideas about where to go to next, but man, we decided to do dabble a little bit in theology. Um, don't let that scare you away. These are some... Um, Cornerstone pillars by which um, the Protestant Church rests their their uh, their hats on, and so we wanted to kind of go into uh, first and foremost the five solas, and so uh, we'll begin this with sola scripture. You know, Matt, when I was a, a kid, we I went to public school, and so we used to always do these uh, field trip things. And uh, we'd have to go get this letter from our parents that would grant us the ability to go on this field trip. And I remember this one time my mom uh, gave me my little note, went to school, and uh, uh, man, it got wet in my backpack because it was raining outside. I used to walk to school. Uh, five miles uphill both ways in the well, ice. You know what I mean. Uh, but but uh, so I get to school and I have this like mangled paper, right? But the 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 teacher looked at it and she could see the content and also the signature from my mom. And based on the authority of my mom, I was still allowed to go on this field trip. Um, otherwise, the teacher would have had to sit me, right? Because she didn't have that ultimate authority to let me go that supreme authority to bring me on that field trip. And so, you know, when we're talking about Sola Scriptura, you know, it's important that we kind of understand the history around it, kind of what was going on on the scene um, that brought this, um, this uh, doctrine um, not to, I wouldn't say to life, but relit maybe in, in the world. And, uh, And that comes from the 16th century. Matt, why don't you kind of pave the way, Mr. Martin Luther Scholar, on kind of the the scene of the Reformation?
1: Yeah. um, So what we have to remember is that the the Reformers didn't set up a theology right at the beginning. Right. Um, It was kind of developed as they began their work. And so uh, one of the issues that Martin Luther was running into is – that the there was two forms of authority in the life of religion at the time. Um, the there was the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, tradition and and Scripture, tradition and Scripture. And typically, what would happen is that the tradition would always trump the authority of Scripture. Yeah, uh, and there of course Catholics will argue that's not what would happen in, in the case, but but that's essentially what Martin Luther was experiencing. He was. Um, struggling to understand key concepts about justification. How are we right before God? How do we grow in our faith? And essentially, he did everything the Catholic Church told him to do. Um, He had massive amounts of guilt and shame over his sins. He felt the conviction, the law of God was heavy on him. And so he would go and he would go to confession. He would do everything possible. And it wasn't until he was studying scripture Uh, in particular, a passage in Romans, and he found out that you are justified by faith alone. It's it's through faith that we are saved, and and faith is imputed to us. It is a a gift to us. It's not something that we develop um, from ourselves, and that just changed his whole perspective, and he realized that Christ is our atonement, that Christ is the one that did the the swapping. He took our guilt and our shame and placed it on himself as he was perfect. And Luther was like, that makes much more sense than this fact that the Roman Catholic Church has a depository of grace, and they would dish out grace based yeah. on your works. And so uh, Luther, uh, essentially, uh, and it's other people looking at Luther said, You know what, it is by faith alone, through grace alone, through Christ alone, through scripture alone, to God's glory alone that we are saved. Right. And that's where these five solas came out. Sola as in uh, singular or only, right? Right. And so um, our topic of, of scripture alone really stems from this Reformation principle, but it goes way before the Reformation. Absolutely. Um, Luther loved uh, Augustine. He, he studied Augustine um he w- that was his main theologian from back in the day and augustine was before the roman catholic church was really established as we understand it and so um this concept is that scripture is the sole authority right neil
0: yeah and you know even before augustine we go back to the apostolic fathers who are dealing with gnosticism and various forms of heresy in the early church and what do they make their appeal to they make their scripture. appeals to scriptures, to the writings of the apostles, um, to this this understanding of this this uh, you know natural canon of the church. Now, obviously, it wasn't codexed; it wasn't um, put in book bound form, right? But there was these are what the church affirms to be scripture from the beginning, and so any re- refutation of of heresy was, was done so on the grounds of scripture. And so this is kind of, you know, going back to that illustration, Matt, um, the grounds of authority are founded upon the holy scriptures. It is yeah. the supreme authority, the final authority. Um, it, you know, uh, there are many, and, and let, let's be charitable for a second. There are so many in the, in even in the evangelical side of the aisle who really struggle with these doctrines. Okay. Sure. They have questions, they have, uh, um, arguments against, um, particularly our, many of our Anglican friends, for instance, uh, struggle with this, but, um, and I understand that, but one podcast episode, we're not going to be able to answer all these things. What we want to do is lay it out so that there's clarity around what it is and what we believe about it and what actually scripture teaches. Because one of the common arguments is that, man, it's not in scripture. Okay. Inspiration. We get that, but practically it's not here. And so, um, I have a text for you for us to go to first, but
1: Matt, what was your note? Uh, I just didn't want, I wanted to clarify real quick. I think the errors that we're worried about is that, that there are a, uh, a, a ditch on both sides of the road. Sure. Right. We can say scripture is authoritative. Um, and when we say soul scripture, that means nothing else. No other information is uh, helpful or valuable or can add to our understanding. Right. And that's one ditch. And the other ditch is, um, that scripture is insufficient um, right. and we need other sources. So we don't want to hit either ditch. We want to kind of stay in the middle of the road here. Yeah, uh, yeah. so yeah. So what
0: we're not saying is one creed, only the Bible, right? That's not what we're saying. That would be uh, nuda scripture, right or yeah. scripture nuda. Um, what we are saying is Sola scripture which is which means supreme or final the yeah. end all be all it is what everything submits to so what where do we see this in scripture i think man jesus handles this in matthew 15 in verses 1 through 9 and i'll just kind of read it and real quick and comment a little bit on it but it says this then jesus was approached by the pharisees and scribes from jerusalem so what's what's important about this is the pharisees the scribes these religious leaders of the day are seen as Israel's shepherds. Okay. So they have oral traditions. They're the ones supposed to lead the people. Like that's the reality of which they're sitting in. Okay. So then it goes this. They ask Jesus, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders for they don't wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, Why do you break God's commandment? Because of your tradition. For God said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, Whoever tells tells his father and mother whatever benefit uh, you might have received from me as a gift committed to the temple, he does not have to honor his father. In this way, you have nullified the word of God. Because of your tradition, hypocrites, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines, human commands or human traditions. Mm-hmm. So what Jesus is saying, he's he's acknowledging there are many human traditions, but the authority, the final authority is not is not stacked on those traditions. And what had happened in the, with the shepherds of Israel is they were moving their tradition above
1: what God's word said in their oral traditions. And And they weren't manipulative right now. They weren't, they weren't trying to be uh, hurtful necessarily. They didn't set out to be that way. Of course not. They wanted to protect the law. They wanted to fence it. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, Hey, if if we want to honor the Sabbath, Maybe we should make some rules about the Sabbath so that we can protect it. So you can only walk so far, right? right. Uh, don't, don't travel. Or if you are going to travel, you can only travel over water, right? The problem is now you're making these laws, these cut and dry laws, and you are punishing people for breaking the Sabbath, the ultimate. And that's, that's what we see as the human tendency.
0: Oh, totally. And I mean, we even saw that in the garden, right? When Eve said, Uh, in response to the serpent, um, you shall not eat or touch it and you will die. And that was not what God had said. He said, eat and you will die. And so these extra biblical laws, these extra traditions, um, although the place they're coming from is a place of, of reverence and honor and obedience often, um, if they if they're not in submission to scriptures, what Jesus is getting at, then then we're only honoring with lips,
1: right? Oh, yeah. the problem and, and let's attack slowly. our own tradition for a minute, right? Yeah, As Baptists, totally. Baptists have done this very poorly, right? right there's course. a there's a a thought out there that Baptists are legalistic. And we think about the temperance movement and and alcohol, right? A lot of back at, not too long ago, Baptists were against any form of alcohol drinking. Mm-hmm. And the idea was, well, it, alcohol has damaged so many families and ruined so many lives. Uh, let's go ahead and just say no alcohol allowed for anybody in our church or our, you know, in our congregation. And we Depend, ostracized people. Officer, yeah. yeah. And so uh, I think there's been a swing back to a much more healthy approach where everything in moderation um, and just be wise about it. And what may be wise for me may not be wise for you, right? If I have an alcoholic background, maybe it's good for me to abstain completely and not pursue uh, even a beer or two. Um, but ultimately, I think the idea is we have made something other than scripture as authoritative, right? right? Our traditions, we've always done it this way. Mm-hmm. Um but then we have this other pendulum where it's like, I need extra biblical revelation, Neil, to yeah. live my life. Um, and I think the passage that speaks against that is 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 3. It says, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us By his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us very great and precious promises. This is talking about scripture. So that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. Mm. And so we don't need extra curricular or extra biblical information. Uh, Martin Luther, when he was writing to the papacy, said, Let the man who would hear God speak. Read Holy Scriptures. You know, if you want to hear God speak, read Scripture aloud. Um, This is the Word of God, and that's that's all we need for life and godliness.
0: Yeah. So let's maybe summarize that point this way: Scripture alone is our sufficient authority, and that's that's what he's saying. It's sufficient for life, all of it, your faith, all of your faith, and godliness. Right. Right. or practice faith and practice is often the way it's communicated um so it's sufficient for those things and it's sufficient for the point of what uh, this is really what the reformation w- was getting at right and the rest of the soul is this out but it is sufficient for how we understand salvation and then how to walk as saved people yeah. and so uh you know second timothy 315 matt you're familiar with it it says and you know, from, uh, you know that from infancy, you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So what Paul is saying to Timothy is, the scriptures have made you wise unto salvation. And so it is our only sufficient authority of making us wise to be saved. There is no way to be saved outside of what scripture is teaching.
1: I think um, I I, I get this objection a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, it doesn't teach us how to do plumbing, (laughs) right? So scripture isn't perfect for that. Uh, It doesn't teach you how to be a good plumber. Well, the reality is it teaches us not how to do plumbing, but how to be a God-honoring, God-fearing plumber in every scenario that we encounter as a plumber um, or an electrician or as a Christian. It speaks about humanity. What is man? and how man operates and so the the issue is people will bring that up because they want to push their own agenda Um, and so they'll say something like uh, well what about psychology or psychotherapy Um, shouldn't we glean the information from a, a therapist or a psychologist and I would say generally if it was a hard science then yes we want that true information true observations but the reality is they try to meddle in what God's word is very clearly dealing with, right. which is how to live a godly and God-fearing life. Yeah. And so um, that's what, we, when we say scripture is sufficient, we are saying that it is sufficient for life and godliness. It's not saying that it teaches us how to do math or science, but we are much better scientists as, as Christians, And that's why we... We see the early, uh, or we see in the Christian tradition, uh, so many great scientists that are out there that made so many breakthroughs because they were seeking to know the God that created. They were looking to know more about the Creator. Right. But we have some summaries of this, uh, Neil, and in some different con, uh, confessions, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I I really I really like the 1833 New Hampshire's uh, summary of this. This principle, um, the 1833 is stemming back to the 1689. Um, so it's really a summary of the 1689. It's not as detailed. I know those um, reform people out there who are 1689 or die, you know, or Westminster or die kind of folk. But uh, I think the 1833 does a good job here. And here's what it says. It says, We believe the Bible is written by men divinely inspired and is the perfect treasure of heavenly instruction, that it has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter, that it reveals the principles by which God will judge us and therefore is and shall remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union. and." And hear this, this is what we're talking about. The supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and opinions should be tried. So it's the standard bearer, right? It is uh, what everything must submit
1: to ultimately. So what does this look like practically, Matt? Yeah, well, it looks like um, my feelings and opinions have to subserve what the Word of God says, right? So um, something I've been dealing with a lot recently has been the topic of forgiveness. Mm. Um, Forgive and forget or uh, forgiveness is unconditional, right? You just forgive and don't think about it. Well, that's not what Scripture teaches. It says forgive like our Father in heaven forgave you. Uh, So what does that mean? Well, that means it's a conditional forgiveness. Um, it's not unconditional forgiveness. We must uh, receive the gift of Jesus Christ in the same way that when we forgive someone, uh, when they repent, and um, there is a lot more to it, but that's just one area. What about um, I'm not in love with this person anymore? Right. Right. So I should just get a divorce. Well, we know that God hates divorce, mm. uh, we know that there's a covenantal relationship that has been established when you get married. And so you have to submit to God's law. Uh, you you could go well. My state says I can get divorced, but their state does not go higher than God's authority, right? And, and we're seeing this, you know, across the country when it comes to um, what authority does the church have around ma- uh, mandates and uh, worship and all that stuff. Uh well God's church is to do what God's word says, and that means we need to obey God rather than man. So if we yeah. if we are called to worship, then we worship. Uh, yeah. we assemble. we assemble, keyword. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nothing nothing or no one can can um has the authority over us in that regard. Yeah. But this is this is also in 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 a in a simpler way too. Um think about how often we have opinions like women should not wear pants. Uh, well, where do we get that information? Uh it's not in scripture, right? And so we could say no, scripture says be modest. It doesn't say thou shalt wear no jeans on Sunday, right?
0: Yeah. Or yeah, the men must wear suits and ties, or or the men must not wear suits and ties. It it goes right. any which way. We we uh we have to we have to submit sub subserve our opinions and our conduct to what the Bible calls us to. And that man, that's so vital for us because I mean, the world will tell you all sorts of things, right? Like one of the big ones that I hear a lot in the counseling room, Matt is, uh, you know, my therapist or my friends or what I watch on TV has told, told me, I just need to do more self care. And if I do more self care, then, then I'll be okay. And I, I'm sitting there thinking, um, okay, well, what does self-care take you to? What place does that take you to? And, and most of the time that takes you to um, neglecting responsibilities that God has given you and entrusted to you. And so it's not that God doesn't want you to care for yourself. What he wants you to understand is when you trust him, he will provide what is needed for you. Correct. And so, I mean, I had the opportunity today, Matt. And I got invited to go uh, to a Korean spa with some buddies. Uh, we've done that in the past, and and uh, uh, a couple of the guys were like, you know, give me kind of giving me a hard time about it. You know, oh, you can't do it anymore, or whatever. Well, my wife's in school right now, and so if I go, then my wife's not going to be able to get her. Uh, schoolwork done because she'll have the kids and it'll cause her more stress and more so on and so forth. Could I use it? Yeah, man, it's, it's hard out here in these streets. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I could totally use it, but what I'm not going to do is at the altar of self-care, put my wife, right. And, uh, man, that would, that's an opinion or human conduct that, we hear in the world that finds its way standing above scripture often and, and no, that cannot be the place
1: that it is. Um, yeah. You know, you, you, bring that up, Neil. Uh, so I'm preaching about the woman at the well Yeah, and uh, Jesus is hungry and thirsty. And he uses that as an opportunity to share spiritual truth with this lady instead of saying, you know what? I'm not going to talk to her. I'm tired. I got to deal with myself first. I can't minister to this whole village later. I got to, I got to drink water first or, you know, he, he sacrifices himself, uh, in the end, he ultimately literally sacrifices yes. himself, quite literally, but, <laughs> but in obedience to the Lord. And so that's, uh, that's so true. This the self-care or in the self-esteem, yeah, um, kind of category, in. same category, right? So,
0: so. So what have we said so far? We said that sola scriptura means that scripture alone is our final authority. It is our supreme authority. That doesn't mean there aren't other authorities in our lives, but they submit to this supreme standard. The second thing, excuse me, we've said is that it's alone, our sufficient authority. We can trust it, right? Which takes us kind of to the third point, Matt, the why. Why is it these things? Um, and and I would answer it this way simply, because scripture is God's inspired word, and it is our own, therefore, our only inerrant authority. Okay, now all the flares have shot up, right, for people who uh, disagree, who, who maybe affirm Sola Scriptura, but disagree with an the standard of inerrancy of scripture there that there's no mixture of error in the Bible. Right. Um, so where, where do we kind of see this
1: stemming from in scripture, Matt? Um, you know, I just blanked out, so go ahead and remind me what you just said. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, second Timothy three, 16 and 17, um, is kind of the foundational element for where we get inerrancy from. Um, or where we go back to, okay? It's a cornerstone text for this. And it says that um, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So divine inspiration is the category by which we say scripture
1: is inerrant. Now, why would that be so, Matt? Well, because it's God's very word. I mean, these are these are the words that God has inspired, breathed out is the language that we have here. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, we see David in Psalm 19 and Psalm 119 talking about how perfect and how true and accurate God's word is, how um, you can't even see the end of its perfection. That's how, how perfect it is. And so, if, if this is the very Word of God, uh, Scripture is the Word of God. It doesn't contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. And that's an important distinction of that we want to make is as we read Scripture, whatever it describes, whatever it explains is God's Word. I mean, everything in it is God's Word. God not only inspired the authors to write, but inspired the very words that they put on the paper, on the parchment, on the, uh, on the stone, the Pyra. <laughs> the And in, in fact, in several places in scripture, we see where it, um, basically says the same thing, um, where it is not only just God's uh, or that it is God's word. So scripture is God speaking. Um, and we see that same comparison, um, and there's no distinction between man's word and God's word and so that's it's important that we we know that so that this is this is God's word when we pick it up
0: yeah and you know I would add to um second Peter 1 uh, 20 uh, through the end of that that chapter Matt if you want to look that up but <clears throat> what what Peter's getting at is um that we can't cleverly devise this like man does not have the capacity to uh, cleverly devise these things so the argument out there is well scripture's infallible mean what they mean by that is that anything that talks about how we become saved it's infallible you can't argue with it but all the other stuff well not so sure about right maybe it's not as trustworthy and so um Matt, would you read that text? And maybe let's let's get to the point of why is the Bible trustworthy?
1: Yeah. So it says, above all, no, you know this. No prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So this text is is pointing out that the prophet is not doing his own interpretation, but he is uh, carried along by the Holy Spirit. Um, it is divine inspiration, not like divine inspiration where I'm I'm painting a picture and I and I get an idea, but it's actually the very words of God through the human vessels of men, <clears throat> and so. This goes back to God's character. Did God really say? Yeah. Um, we go back to the garden, Adam and Eve, and the serpent. His first attack is: Did God really say you can't do this? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, even in uh, the temptation of Jesus, Satan uses God's own words um, in order to tempt him, and Jesus replies with God's word in its full context, yeah. <laughs> in its accuracy, and so. Um, it's based on God's character. Does, is God true? Is God right? Is God honorable? Is He moral? Um, if the answer is yes, then the words that He speaks must be true, right, and honorable.
0: Yeah, and here here's the logic of P- Peter talking about the apostles. He's you know, well, how how do we how do we get to this point? Well, just a few verses before what Matt just read, he says, "We do not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you." the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, he says, we are an eyewitness to his majesty. We received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majest, majestic glory, saying, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. That's referenced back to Jesus' baptism. He says, we ourselves heard this voice when it came from the heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain, And we also have the prophetic words. It goes back to the old Testament strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So, so Peter is saying, man, like we saw these things. We heard these things. We even saw how the old Testament was fulfilled in Christ. So, it is trustworthy. It is true. We can say, friends, that the Bible is inerrant. Um, it has no mixture of error within it because it is God's very words. And he does not make mistakes, nor does he change his mind. Um, he is as he has always been, Alpha and Omega. And we become wise to these things, not God changes things so that we understand that's not the case so the bible is trustworthy and true and so it is what does that mean it means that scripture is the church's final and sufficient authority because scripture is the word of god so inerrancy then therefore is the necessary corollary of inspiration One side of a coin says inspired. The other side of the coin says inerrant because it is God's
1: and he does not make mistakes. Amen. Amen. Well, we probably should wrap this up. Um, There's so many more things we could say. We could probably go on this for hours. I think Neil and I uh, really cut our teeth um, in ministry on this subject of Sola Scriptura uh, because Honestly, that is the foundation of our ministries. We are ministers of the word, yeah. the public and private proclamation of the word. And, um, so we bang- and we built our lives on it. Now we, we trust in it and we, we, uh, live our lives based on what we understand the word of God to teach. Um, that's mm-hmm. how we parent. That's how we husband. That's how we pastor. That's how we minister yeah. uh, all these things. That's how we counsel. Um, so that is the foundation point for all of us, for both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we drink from the well of the word on our individual basis. I know Neil and I both are in the word um, daily, if not hourly, um, mm-hmm. thinking about dwelling on, meditating on God's sufficient, inerrant, infallible word. And uh, we hope that you also see the value of this in your own lives and that you begin to apply it Um, Everything that we have talked about, we base on the word of God, and we want uh, you to do that as well. So if you have any questions, man, reach out to us, share, like, uh, do all the things that you're supposed to do to to get the word out about this podcast. We want it to be a blessing uh, to you and to others. And um, until next time, we out. We out.